everybody out there in Bourbon Real Talk land. Randy Sullivan here with the most specialist of guests. I'm very excited because I have Brent Elliott from Four Roses, and we are going to talk to you today about yeast. Brent, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. So here on Bourbon Real Talk, we, uh, we like to have a little uh, pour while we talk, and this pour is extra special, and so is Brent's, because this is what we call our infinity glass. So we just got done doing a selection of Four Roses here at, uh, at, at the distillery, and we got nine different barrels to choose from. And this has got a little bit of all nine barrels, willy-nilly, no thought uh, about it. And uh, when Brent asked what I was drinking, I said that I had my infinity glass. So he ran over, took his glasses from when he was tasting along with us, and made an infinity glass. What do you think? Uh, I haven't tasted it yet, okay, but let's taste it I'm up. pretty excited to see what it is. That barrel seven's coming through. That's very nice. <laughs> it yeah. is nice. That barrel seven's <laughs> coming through. So we picked a very special uh, barrel for us today, but um, we are very excited to be able to cover this topic because yeast is actually pretty important in forming the flavors that are in your whiskey. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's really kind of the fundamental of what makes us unique. Right, right. And so first off, you're the master distiller here at Four Roses. Um, how long have you worked for Four Roses? Uh, 15 years now. 15? Were you in the industry before that, or did no, you that, start your career here? My first job here was working in the lab. You know, my background's chemistry, so I really got my foot in the door just doing analytical um, work and then kind of just kind of grew with the company. Started yeah. blending, quality control. So. Well, you made mention of it. You said that Four Roses is unique because of their, their yeast. Uh -huh. um, so tell us a little bit about your, the yeast that you use here and how it might be a little bit different from the other major distilleries. Yeah, we put a lot of emphasis on that, a lot of um, effort in the propagation, you know, keeping the yeast strain separate, because what we do is we create 10 different recipes. Mm -hmm. So we have two different mash bills. So the two mash bills, the five strains, that's how we get the 10 recipes. And by doing that, we have a broad base of flavors that we can use to either create consistent products or to create uniqueness from one product to the next. And by that I mean with bourbon, it's a unique product, or it's an all-natural product. And that's really, I think, what makes it special is you can't tweak it in any way. Just by regulations, you can't do anything to bourbon. Uh, you can't add anything to add, change the flavor or the color. Mm -hmm. So with when you're at the mercy of the grains, the weather, the wood, the warehousing, there's so many different variables that go into making a product like bourbon that it's almost impossible to hit the same flavor target day after day, barrel after barrel. Right. So with the different flavors uh, that we get from the different recipes, different yeast strains, we have more control over the ultimate flavor of what goes into the bottle. Gotcha, so that you can produce a consistent product. So it doesn't yeah, matter exactly. if you get a bottle in Europe or you get a bottle in someplace in the United States, they should taste pretty similar to one. Yeah, we go to a lot of effort to make sure that this is consistent from you know, dump to dump, year after year. Um, you will see some differences in single barrel because at that level right. we don't have the, that's one recipe and each barrel is going to be different but that's kind of the appeal i think anyone that enjoys single barrel understands that right. but if you're looking at a product like the small batches or the four roses bourbon yeah that's the idea you get that consistency so what compounds would you find in a whiskey that affect its flavor that can be different based on the yeast strain uh well through fermentation you get of course you get ethanol, mm -hmm. you get CO2, you get heat, and the yeast creates more yeast, but you also get a lot of congeners. And these are other um, compounds like esters, fusel oils, or higher alcohols, 
um, aldehydes, acids, the whole slew of all these different compounds that we just sort of refer to as congeners. Mm -hmm. Sort of a blanket term to refer to all those compounds. And even though those compounds are a small portion of what you get through that yeast metabolism, they're very important in the flavor compounds, or the flavors they produce. Right. Or the, and a lot of these flavors, you, know, you can smell them right off the still in the distillate, some of the floral or fruity compounds or spiciness. But a lot of them, through the, the yeast activity, you get the precursors to what will develop in into the barrel. The flavor. Yeah. yeah, into the flavor. So there might be an ester compound, but it needs to develop to create a fruit flavor or something that you want in the finished product. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Uh -huh. And you can manipulate how much of those compounds are in your fermented uh, distiller's beer based on what yeast you use. Exactly. Yeah, we have some yeast that will create more of the fruit, some that create more of the floral, some that are more herbal or minty. Mm -hmm. And that is, even though we don't understand, you know, the difference between each one of those strains, we know that that strain will produce right. that. And so we haven't done a lot of research on those individual strains and the metabolism of why these are created. And I don't know if anyone can really answer that. But we know that, for example, our Q yeast strain creates those floral notes. Right. And we can take a sample after distillation and I can analyze it. And I can actually see some compounds that we know are like rose oil, for example, mm -hmm. phenyl ethyl alcohol. There's a big, uh, there's a higher concentration of that in that yeast strain right off the still than there is in like our K or O or any of our other yeast strains. Gotcha. So you know, we can, we know what happens and we know that we can control those flavors by which yeast strain we're using. So that's super interesting. Um, I've always heard congeners, but I, I don't think that I really have heard somebody explain it that fully before. Okay. Now you did mention before that the yeast can change over time it can mutate yeah and so what what do you have to do what first off how does it mutate how do you detect that it's mutating and how do you stop it uh the way we stop it or try to keep it from happening it's, it's going to happen there's going to be just yeast it divides every few hours so there's so many generations in the amount of time even from one fermentation or you know a week's worth of fermentation uh, what's important though is that the majority of the yeast that's being used has not mutated and is creating the right, right. flavor profile that you want. Uh, for us, we don't ever stay on one yeast strain or yeast, I guess, lot of propagated yeast for longer than a week. Okay. Um, so even if we're running the plant with, say, K yeast for two weeks, after one week of back setting with that same stock of yeast, we will stop and we'll go back to the original strain and repropagate that from scratch, from a slant in the lab. So, gotcha. we'll work, so we are never on that same strain for so long that there's enough an opportunity for enough mutations to take place to overtake or really create a difference mm -hmm. in the overall fermentation profile. Right. And so what we do is we actually store all of our strains. We have them stored on site. We have some stored in Japan. We have the working strains that we use stored um, with white labs. Um, that's their expertise. They do nothing but yeast right. storage management. Um, and the it's stored out in California. Gotcha. So every month when we know what yeast strains we're going to produce, we order those one or two strains. They send them in a slant that they grow up from the original mother mm -hmm. culture. And so we're never more than a month away from that mother Going culture. Going back that's, to the original. Yeah, that's frozen in a deep freeze there. So it really minimizes any chance of... Um, mutation. Any mutation there. And they do quality control um, 
on that strain every couple of years. They'll clean it up, look for any differences, um, any colonies that don't appear to be um, homogenous with the original. And so that they go to a lot of lengths, you know, at our request to make sure that we don't deviate from those strains that are so important to us. Wow. I mean, that's phenomenal. So I didn't realize that yeast could mutate that quickly and then start producing new flavors. It sounds like, though, that this would be an enormous undertaking for a distillery that's not of this size. And so is it the case that most distilleries don't maintain their own proprietary yeast? Um, you or know, at least the smaller guys? I think everyone has their, their methods. Um, and I'm not really aware of all the different, you know, some people use dry yeast. A lot of people will use, you know, their own yeast or purchase yeast. Everyone has their own methods and, you know, ways to prevent mutations or ways to, you know, protect that original strain. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's just the way that we do it. And we right. find that to be very effective. Hey there, Bourbon Real Talk listeners and watchers. Randy Sullivan here. Wanted to take a quick break to tell you how you can support the channel. We've had a lot of people that have come into the Bourbon Real Talk family lately, and we're grateful for every one of you. But unlike a lot of other channels, we don't have a Patreon, and I don't allow anyone to sponsor the show. So what I do have, though, is some merchandise. So one of the things that I wanted to show you guys is we have Bourbon Real Talk Glen Karens available for sale on our website. Um, and great news, we actually have some Weeglins uh, on their way. So we had Weeglins custom manufactured. They're half the size of a regular Glen. Excellent for tasting. On the website, we also have candles. And they're more masculine scents, so this one's like leather. And these candles are manufactured by my daughter's candle company. She wanted to buy her own car, so we helped her start her own business. And she manufactured a line of masculine-smelling candles for the Bourbon Real Talk family. The next thing that we have is kind of a little interesting gadget. This is a Glen lanyard. So basically, it goes around your neck like any other lanyard, but it's specifically designed to hold a Glen whiskey glass. And it allows you to go hands-free. So uh, honestly, the first time I saw one of these, I thought it was a silly concept. Then someone gave me one. I used it at a bottle share. It was super efficient, truly made it a more enjoyable experience as I interacted with people. Um, We also have these decorative storage boxes for your whiskey samples. So if you get involved in the whiskey community, you're going to be given samples like this one. And one day you're going to look up and you got little sample bottles sitting all over the place. It doesn't look that good. And so we manufactured these uh, custom storage boxes. Uh, Those are available as well. And the creme de la creme of merch for Bourbon Real Talk is the American Whiskey Aroma Kit. So the story on this is I was doing reviews. People kept asking me, how do you learn how to break down the different flavors of a whiskey? And I had learned through a wine aroma kit, but I could not find a bourbon aroma kit that I liked Uh, Most of them came in a cardboard box. The scents didn't always make sense uh, for bourbon. Some of them would say they were for bourbon, but they had scents in there that were really more scotch-focused. And so my wife, who helped with the candle company, helped me curate this box. We crowdsourced the 36 scents that went in this through the whiskey community. And I probably went through about 350 different scents to find these 36 
Uh, interesting little tidbit, I've given one of these to the master distiller of a major legacy Kentucky distillery, and he reported back that he loves all the scents and that he uses it to train his sensory team, uh, but I am not allowed to tell you what the distillery is, uh, or it would probably ruin my relationship with them. So, uh, if you saw any of this stuff, you want to support the channel, you can head on over to bourbonrealtalk.com forward slash shop and pick something up. But if you just want to hang out here and learn, I'm totally happy with that as well. Just happy to have you as a listener. So my next question then would be, if you've got yeast in different locations, have you noticed that, is it the case that the yeast that are in other locations are like frozen, they're in suspension, like they can't mutate? Yeah, that's the idea. That's gotcha. That's how they're stored, uh-huh. and they're and they're stored in different locations to protect the yeast strain, right? So if there were a catastrophe in one location, you don't lose all of it. Is exactly. That, yeah, that that's the, the idea behind that. Yeah. So all of my IT security friend, friends out there that have co-locations for your servers and all that stuff, it's the same <laughs> same principle. Same exactly. Principle, right. Yeah. yeah. Except it goes wrong in one location, you're you're yeah, we're not okay. dead in the water because yeah, if we lost our yeast strains. We'd have to start from scratch. So you said that they send it to you on a slide. So while it's on the slide, is it in suspension and it cannot change? Um, well, it could, but, you know, mutations, they happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, but when you're dealing with that many billions of cells, once you're actually at that level, you know, just statistically you're going to have them happen. But it's it would take quite a while for enough of a particular mutation to change, to change something. And they're mutations that wouldn't even really affect the flavor. You know, there's so many different right. know, biological mutations that could take place. Um, so with the slant, yes, it could happen, and it probably does. But what's important is that the majority of the yeast that is on that slant they send to us is homogenous, and it's the strain that we're looking for. Right. And do you do any testing when those slides arrive to compare it to kind of the mothership, if you will, uh-huh. before you, you, you put it in batches? Or do you just, is the process so clean that you know for sure nothing's happening? Yeah, internally we don't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, if there were any differences, um, like in fermentation, we would notice it. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, we, we trust that that is the pure strain that we've you know, asked for right, right, to be right. sent. Um, but we do work with them, you know, different um, methods to make sure that over time it doesn't change. You know, they have different dye uptake tests, um, DNA sequencing, they know exactly what what area of the um, DNA to look at to make sure that there isn't a deviation from what we expect, you know, that that benchmark, that standard from that particular strain. So there are a lot of different um, ways that we can monitor the quality, but we don't necessarily do it at the distillery. That's all done there. And then when it arrives, you know, we know from all those other steps we go through prior to that, good. that it's good. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Now, one of the things that I found interesting, I was I was interviewing a chemical engineer one time, and he said that with the most sophisticated testing equipment that we have available to us today, that you can measure, you know, congeners and things like that in parts per hundreds of thousand, um, but that the human palate is able to taste things in parts per million. Is, yeah. is that the case? Is is the equipment that you're using to do this testing, are, is it sensitive enough to detect it, or do you have to use your palate? Uh, what's interesting is, in most cases, um, one thing an instrument can do that the human palate can't is it can tell you if you calibrate for any particular compound. It can tell you to the part per million or billion or whatever the sensitivity is of that particular compound. It can tell you exactly how much is in it, and it can tell you if you ask it you know, specific 
questions, if you set it up to look for or measure certain compounds, it can tell you exactly what's in there. Mm-hmm. Human palate can't do that. But what the instrument can't do is tell you if it's any good. Right. Because it's not just as simple as you can say, okay, it's got this much of this compound. And you can maybe taste that compound. But it's about the interaction with all the other compounds that are in there mm-hmm. that only the human palate can tell you if that's good, if it's balanced, what it really tastes like. So fortunately, you know, the GC mass spec or any other analytical technique cannot replace the, 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 the human palate. palate. Yeah. Yeah. And I assume you all have a sensory team. I'm just curious, how many people are on your sensory team that do these tests? Uh, we have about 10 at the distillery and then four or five here at the warehouse and bottling facility. Oh, that's awesome. So. It's, that, that would be my goal if I worked here to work my way onto the sensory team so that I could taste the whiskey. <laughs> Although it's probably not as sexy as us regular whis- whiskey drinkers uh, think. It's You probably don't even drink the whiskey. You probably well, taste it and spit it out. <laughs> yeah, you do. But I, that was one of my fears when I started 15 years ago. You know, I was afraid that because I love whiskey so much, like, well, now that it's going to be my job, it's going to be something that I won't enjoy anymore. Yeah. But that's not true. Yeah, yeah. You still love it. <laughs> still love it. Until like when, after a whole day of... Tasting whiskey, I mean, I bet you don't even want to touch it when you get home. Like, well, actually, if I'm smelling and tasting, and most of it's smelling, if I'm around good whiskey all day and evaluating it, you know, I'm not drinking, I'm not enjoying it. That actually puts me more in the mood. And like, I'm looking forward to relax. getting home and trying. Yeah. You know, <laughs> this really kind of primed me for some good whiskey. That, so it's kind of the opposite of what I was afraid would happen. That's awesome. So Four Roses is, is very communicative with their buying public of you know, what your recipes are, what your yeast strains are. And it sounds like that yeast is a crucial component in the flavor of the whiskey. Uh-huh. Why do you think other distilleries don't put as much emphasis on their yeast? They don't, they don't really advertise it. Um, well, it's, it's as important to every distillery as it is to us. But I think for us, it is part of our uniqueness. Um, it's something we're very proud of. So we like to talk about it. Sure. And, you know, back when we were just using the 10 recipes primarily for consistency, um, you know, that's a great story, but I think once we started doing it in the small batches and started using different combinations to create uniqueness and started talking about it, we realized that people were really interested in that. Right. So that became part of the conversation. And before long, we realized that's part of our identity. That's what people appreciated. And, you know, we understood that that was important, and we've been proud of that. So now that we understand people want to hear that, that's part of what we communicate. Sure, sure. So you have uh, five different yeast strains, right? Uh-huh. And do you know approximately what year you guys started propagating this, these five yeast strains? And is there one that's older than the others? Okay. You know, when we start looking at the history of the yeast strains and the history of Seagram's, it gets kind of tough. We don't have a file cabinet at work that just says, you know, this is when all <laughs> these things happen. And so a lot of it, you know, it's been based on you know, people's memories and it goes way back before my time. So a lot of what I get is secondhand, and some of that stuff was secondhand. Uh, but from what I understand, you know, prior to, um, let's say, when 60s, 70s, early 80s, when um, Seagram's was operating five different distilleries in the state of Kentucky, mm-hmm. um, you know, each one of those distilleries would contribute maybe one or two of the different recipes, um, and they would all come to this location. So this was the central warehousing location, but then there were all these other distilleries all producing straight bourbon whiskey for Four Roses, um, some different Seagram's bourbon brands at the time, some of the Seagram's um, blended whiskeys at the time. So these different recipes were produced at different locations. Um, Now where those individual strains or yeast strains began, you know, 
it's hard to tell. It was all from Seagram's R and D. You know, right. they they understood um, yeast and the alcohol process very well. They had a lot of um, had a huge department dedicated to that. So I couldn't tell you when each of those strains started, but I can tell you that those strains were used at the different distilleries. Right. But then, as these different distilleries were um, retired, mothballed, um, to continue the producing these recipes, the other the remaining distillers would absorb those right. recipes, and so. You know, fast forward to now, you know, we're the last of those original distilleries. So you ended up with all of it. We ended up with all of it. Yeah. We, at least the strains necessary to, to make Four Roses race. bourbon. Yeah. yeah. They had way more yeast strains way back. You know, I've heard against way before my time, but 350 plus strains that were cataloged and characterized. Wow. And so the, it was like tools in a, in a toolbox. You had different tools that could be used with different spirits, different bases to create whatever flavors they were looking for. Um, but we're left with the five that are very integral or absolutely integral to creating the Four Roses bourbon flavor. Sure. So you've been the master distiller here for how long? Uh, five years now. It'll and be six for, years soon. For all five years, they've had all 10 recipes and production uh, and all of that. Um, as as a artist, when it comes to bourbon, uh do you have any urge, and has there been any talk of expanding beyond the 10 recipes? Um, yeah, there's been conversation. Right. You know, we're still a pretty small company, so you know, people always ask about the decisions that are made. Like, I don't know, we just kind of, we talk about things. Mm -hmm. And so we haven't really discussed seriously what the next step would be if we added an 11th or 12th recipe. But in conversations, you know, we're always pitching ideas out there and, and discussing you know, ideas. But the thing is, up until now, say from like 2013 till the present, every bit of capacity that we have still hasn't been enough to meet the demand. Right, right. So we haven't had the luxury of, of even yeah, <laughs> dreaming of what else we could do. But we just expanded or just completed our expansion um, in 2019 of the mm -hmm. distillery. So we do have a little bit of extra capacity and we'll have for the next couple of years. So now's the time that we probably need to start exploring or at least discussing you know, what the future might hold for you know, if we want to do an 11th or 12th recipe. So you're you're a, a chemical engineering genius, in my opinion. Um, don't mean to make it comfortable. <laughs> so is there a, a thought or a project or something that has you excited? Maybe it's been bouncing around in the back of your mind. Like, when I have the capacity, this is the thing I want to check out. I want to um, investigate this thing. There are a lot of things, yeah. Um, Give I me like, top one or two. Uh, a rye whiskey. That's, that's definitely something that would be on my radar. Um, different yeast strains, possibly, mm -hmm. um, and maybe even a weeded whiskey. You know, there's so many different um, avenues to go that, you know, I'd like to, you know, if we had the capacity and the the ability, you know, maybe try a few different things. Sure. Barrel finishes, I, I, I think those are very interesting. Um, tastes a lot of good bourbons and Scotch whiskeys with um, you know, interesting characteristics, just because of the secondary aging right um so the list goes on and on um there are a lot of different things that i would like to try and i'm sure a lot of us here at four roses would like to try but again we're so it's busy capacity, just we're, right? yeah it's we're so busy just maintaining you know what we're doing here and what's gotten us to where we are that we haven't really had the luxury yet of being able to seriously consider what the next step would be there. Sure. I'm guessing then that you don't have any news of anything new that's coming out then. I mean, you guys um, did just launch the small batch select not too long ago. 
Is there anything else like that in the pipeline you're allowed to share with us? Um, we are going to release later this year 50 mil bottles of both of these. Oh, okay. So that'll be, we're excited about that. And then, of course, we're going to do our limited edition small batch, which we do every fall. And I think what's good about that, you know, I, I basically said that, you know, the downside of not having any capacity is we don't, you know, it's hard for us to innovate um, in that way. Um, but it's never really bothered me or any of us because the way we've done things forever and the way we're, we're still doing things, we kind of have that ability to innovate just with the 10 recipes. Right, sure. So we, yeah. we have an infinite number of different flavor profiles that we can try at any time. Right. And that was really the idea with this one. You know, we started the small batch concept in 06 when we released that. And that was when we went to 10 recipes and decided to do something totally different. With this, it's the O strain, which is the rich and fruity, and the K strain. So it's a really unique combination of that fruit and spice. Then you know, fast forward to 2019, when we released that, we wanted to maintain that, you know, you know capitalize on that platform, you know, expand it a little bit. And that's when we did the, uh, the formulation for it in six different recipes, three different yeast strains. So it's totally different from this one. Um, and back to the limited edition. We will do that this year, and that's another extension on the whole concept of the small batch, right. making something totally different each year. Um, for one, because consumers like to try something different, see what Four Roses can do. Sure. And it's also for us to communicate that our ability to sure. be unique from by using the different recipes. So that's one way for you to kind of express yourself, if you will. You're not just doing the same thing every, every yeah, all exactly. the time because you get to blend the limited edition releases. Yeah, and it's always, that's the most fun I do every year, the most fun thing I get to do because with these, it's great. Well, this was fun because it was totally from scratch, um, but for this and the other products, it's about keeping them consistent. Um, but yeah, with the limited edition, every year, you wanna make it different, you wanna make it exciting, and you wanna be able to, using that platform to, um, sort of demonstrate how we can, how we do that with the different sure. recipes, so. So one thing I've always wondered, because your, your standard, it, you have a, what is it, four standard offerings? Yes. You uh -huh. have your um, four roses, you've got small batch, you've got small batch select, and you've got your single barrel. Uh-huh. And the single barrel is always one recipe, is that correct? Correct, yes. Why did you guys decide to only release single barrels from just that one recipe? Uh, with that, again, it kind of goes back to consumers' expectations. Um, you know, consumers, when they're buying a single barrel, they know it's going to be different from barrel to barrel. And that's what they want to see is what the difference is from barrel to barrel. Right. We don't want to shift the base of what's in that bottle. Okay. And so we want to keep it as consistent within that recipe as possible and just to make sure that when they're seeing the differences, it's because it's two different barrels. I can imagine you make a lot more of that recipe than the others then. Uh, yeah, that one's, yeah, we make a lot of that because it is in Four Roses Bourbon, it's single barrel, and it's in this the product. Select. Yeah, so yeah, that we make more of that one than the others. It's, it's pretty, it's one of the top two gotcha. as far as volume. So do you have a favorite recipe? Um, that's favorite tough, strain? that's tough to say. Um, Sometimes I do, but it always changes. It changes, yeah. yeah. Same with me. Like uh, people say, do you, do you always drink bourbon? I'm like, no, I'll get on a rye kick and I'll just drink rye forever, right? Yeah. And then, and then all of a sudden I switch back to bourbon or whatever, right? So that, I guess that makes sense to me. So being in your position, you're blending these limited releases and things like that. Do you have a favorite Four Roses bottling? 
Oh, that's tough too. Um, there, at this point, it's almost like I have some that I have fond memories associated with mm -hmm. that I sort of appreciate from that angle. But from a strictly you know, flavor standpoint, it's hard. You know, at that level, they're all good or all for great reasons. for different reasons. Like picking between your kids. Yeah, like picking between kids or even picking between recipes. You yeah. know, sometimes I might choose one over the other, uh, but some that I. I'm really fond of just because the numbers. One would be like Al's 50th. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was, besides being a fantastic liquid, you know, working with Al on that and, you know, being able to commemorate him with that bottle and that liquid, you know, that's always going to be a favorite of mine. Uh, 2015, that was um, the last one I did with Jim. That was his last year. And again, a phenomenal liquid. Okay. So I like that one on many levels. Um, I like the, the 125th that was commemorate the. It was, a, it was a milestone in the 130th, which was 2018. Yeah. I, I could go on and on. If, yeah. if I think long enough, I'll, I'll end up naming all of them. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're all good for their own different reasons. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, that's totally fair. I, I did get I've, – I've tried all those. I am sad to say that I made a bad decision one time when I was under pressure in line picking my bottle of whiskey at an allocated release, and okay. I had the chance to buy – the uh, Al's one was one fiftieth. It's fiftieth. It was his 50th, yeah fiftieth anniversary with the company. And I and I I picked the wrong bottle. I would have drank it all by now though. So yeah, you know. But I did get. I have had a chance. To so if you've it. tried it, then yeah. yeah, no, it's it's great. Uh, and honestly, Four Roses has always been one of my favorites. Oh. So when people ask me what bourbon do I think you know they should try, often I'll recommend the the Four Roses small batch because it it's more approachable. It doesn't Absolutely. have a lot of like barrel tannin, you know, influence. It's gonna, you know, tweak people's palate out. It's a little fruity. It's a little floral. It's complex flavor. So, you know, yeah. I think it's a great entry level. Um, get somebody addicted to the to the category, right? <laughs> like, I think it's very approachable, and I think you can enjoy it you know, from a beginner because it it is balanced, it's mellow, it's not overly, it's not high proof, it's not overly aged, but you can enjoy it if you're a connoisseur too because it has that complexity. I, I just think it's just so uh, so rounded and, and versatile. Sure. Well, as a master distiller, you get to travel around all these events and you get to meet all the other industry people. And obviously you kind of run operations here. So you've had the opportunity to interact with a lot of industry people. Do you have, and, and I find bourbon brings people together. And uh, bourbon, yeah. bourbon causes people to create memories with other people, right? Um, do you have any memories maybe with, with Al or somebody else? Like, give me one of your top five memories uh, from, from being involved at this level of the distillery. Mm. A lot of good ones. And because, as you mentioned, I think that's something magical about the industry. Um, I think bourbon itself brings people together, and that's part of the magic. It, mm -hmm. It's a reason for people to get together, good people to get, hang out, talk, have something common or common interest to talk about. And the industry is the same way. I think people that are drawn to it, um, certain kind of people. Everyone seems very helpful, passionate about what they do, um, very good personalities. Um, so, yeah, over the years, I've gotten to know, you know a lot of other people in other distilleries, um, actually a whole lot of people. We do events all the time, right. and not so much in the past year, and it's been kind of tough. I miss seeing all yeah. the same faces again and again. But, uh, you know, it's almost like the... Uh, Traveling road show, you know, you get you go to the whiskey fest and you see the same faces there, and it's like, oh, it seems like you know, just saw you last week in right. Chicago or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And um, 
so that's that's always fun. Yeah. You know, um, you build relationships that way, and then you know whether you go for a drink afterwards or even you know, there's a lot of uh, professional courtesy back and forth. We you know send visitors to each other's facilities, or you know we stay in touch. Yeah, sure. So it's nice, but to think of one particular um, instance, well, I can tell you, like when I started. You know, I had no idea. I'd never been in an industry like this, and it's pretty unique. I think you probably see it in beer, and you see it in some, a few other industries, but that level of just camaraderie, like we're right. all in it together. At, at our right. level, the production, there's no competition. We're all just... The salespeople can fight it out, but yeah, the production For us, we're like, I'll tell you our secret. I'll help <laughs> you out. Come on, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you whatever. And so it was really interesting. When I started in 2005, the week I started was Bourbon Festival. So talk about, you know, starting off on... A weird foot. Right. <laughs> I started. Throw you in the pool. And it was just like a party. Swings. You know, yeah. everything we were doing, you know, production was still going on, but it was all about the entertaining, hosting the guests, and doing events. So that was all I did for like my first week. And so I got to see all of that. I got to see the excitement from the consumers. I got to see the behind the scenes camaraderie because all the other distilleries were you know, working together, you know, doing all these events. And, you know, I, didn't know where the work was because there wasn't really any work that right, week. Right, you're just partying. <laughs> so, but that was really eye-opening. It was like seeing all the distilleries come together and everyone know each other and that sense of family and um, you know camaraderie. That was, you know, it was a weird foot to start off on, but it was the right foot. It was really, um, it was reassuring. It was like, wow, I, I can't believe what I just did. I, I made the right decision. I can't believe I'm here working in this industry and. All of the goodness was just laid out in front of me that very first week. That's beautiful. So. You've shared so much knowledge with us today, and I really appreciate you coming on. If this is your first time watching Bourbon Real Talk, I want to tell you the philosophy of this channel. This channel is about bringing people together around bourbon. Unfortunately, I did lose a family member in 2014 to suicide, and that was an eye-opening event for me. And what it caused me to realize is that there's people all around us that they don't understand how loved they are. They don't feel connected. And I also started to notice that, you know, this, this brown liquid here, it kind of counteracts that. It causes us to come together. It causes us to feel connected. It's a social lubricant. You share, you, you get to know people. And I wanted to do something to help the world feel more connected. And I've also noticed that there's a lot of hate, especially on the internet people that have differing views that quite honestly shouldn't affect whether or not they can be friends with one another, but for whatever reason on the internet, they feel comfortable saying terrible things and causing division. And I figure if somebody can hate you on the internet that never met you, it's just as easy for me to love you. And that's why I sign off every show the same way, and that's this. If you woke up this morning and you were unsure whether or not anyone loved you, just know that I love you. We'll see you next time on Bourbon Real Talk.